0: Today's reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. Quite poignant for today. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If everything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things.
1: Good morning. morning. Uh, Do keep that passage open. If you have it in front of you in the Bible, we'll be returning to it quite a lot during this morning. Let me start with the uh, story, well, the start of one. Uh, October 2001, and Ellie and I... Uh, driving up to Lincolnshire to see Ellie's mum. It wasn't a social visit, just 10 days beforehand, we found out that uh, the baby we were expecting, our first child, had miscarried. And so the journey was a bit of a strange one. I guess it was partly an escape, it was partly a chance for Ellie to be with her mum, but whatever the reason, we never got to Lincolnshire anyway. Just outside Bristol in rush hour, As a Christian, I'm driving at 69.999 miles an hour um, in the outside lane of the motorway when the car inside us in the middle lane signals and starts to pull out. And I remember Ellie pointing it out to me and thinking my wife doesn't normally instruct me in the ways of driving. And maybe this was now the next stage of our marriage. When Ellie's voice became more urgent, the car was still coming. And I remember slamming on my brakes, and then the front of our car hitting the back of the car that pulled out. And then the back of our car hitting the central reservation. And then we went into a skid. Now, I count myself both as a good driver and a committed Christian. So I think I had two options here. Uh, uh, One of them was accelerating out of the skid, James Bond style or the other was praying fervently to the God I believed in. Um, I chose a third option. With my foot flat on the brake and the car going into the spin, I gripped hold of the steering wheel and shouted, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. <laughs> At this point, we span across the three lanes of the motorway, we hurtled down an embankment, and we ended up in a ditch. Ellie hurt her back, and in all honesty, it's never truly recovered. The car was a complete write-off. The whole of the boot and the back seats were a crumpled mess. Uh, For those who know me well, the fact that I had my PlayStation in the boot, as well as most of our belongings, now broken beyond repair, did nothing to improve my mood. As we sat in the cold police station just outside Bristol, waiting for my dad to drive the few hours to come and fetch us, because being knowledgeable, I decided the AA wasn't worth it, the, the police informed us that the other driver hadn't stopped. And so there was little chance of the police ever finding them. And now let's turn to the passage we're looking at this morning Philippians 4 4 to 9. And Paul starts the passage with this line in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again. Rejoice. For those of us uh, following the preaching series here at Upton Vale, this is the third of the series of A Talks on Prayer. In week one... Andy introduced the series, Looking at the Lord's Prayer. And then last week, Steve preached to us on the theme of pausing. This series is based on Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray. And in the first chapter, Pete Gregg introduces this helpful acronym, P-R-A-Y, as a tool to help in understanding how to pray. The P, as Steve spoke on last week, is pause. The R, rejoice. Rejoice the A, ask, and the Y, yield, or if you simply prefer, yes. P-R-A-Y, I like it. I, I like acronyms. But there's a significant challenge this morning in thinking about praying this way, because R is for rejoice. What does rejoice mean? Well, the dictionary definition is to feel or show great delight. Are we to do this each time we pray because life can, to put it mildly, suck. Connor, life can hit us where it hurts. When I sat in that police station in the cold, bruised and battered, without car or belongings, grieving the miscarriage of our child, I was a long way from feeling or showing a great joy or delight, as the dictionary puts it. But as Paul writes to the Philippians, he makes it quite clear Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Not when life is good, always. And then in case we haven't heard to emphasize is important, Paul repeats it. I will say it again, rejoice. But that can't be right, can it? So perhaps we need to look at the context of the letter. What's Paul writing this from? Where does it mean? It will make more sense, because surely Paul can't mean always, always rejoice. We need to understand more about where the letter was written. So this book of Philippians is a letter from Paul to a house church that he and Silas set up in the large city of Philippi in Macedonia. Uh, Here's a photo, brilliant, here's a photo of some of the ruins in that city that can still be seen in Macedonia today. It's generally to believe the letter to have been written around AD 60 to 62 during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. That's right. Paul's in prison. And in case you're unsure, Paul mentions it throughout this letter to the Philippians. Philippians 1, verse 13, it says, It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. In verse 13, because of my chains. In verse 17, when I am in chains. And what's more the church in Philippi is also going through persecution. Philippians 1 verse 30 says, Since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and now here that I still have. And it's into this context that Paul writes, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, Rejoice. The church in Philippi had already seen this lived out, by the way, because Paul is a person who lived out what he preached. If we uh, take a gander at Acts 16, we find Paul and Silas arrested in a major city for casting out a demon in a slave girl. And so in Acts 16, the Bible tells us Paul and Silas are stripped, beaten, severely flogged, thrown in prison, and then chained up with their feet In stocks. And then in one of my favorite verses, the next line is thrown in casually, as if as if it's a given. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What was happening? Paul and Silas were rejoicing. Where? In the Macedonian city of Philippi. And the jailer and his family who witnessed what they did that night, would be part of the very house church that Paul is now writing to. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Okay, so if we agree that Paul, in context, in prison, writing to a persecuted church still means we need to rejoice always, we need to take this seriously. We need to ask some pretty searching questions. Here they are. What are we rejoicing in? How are we rejoicing? And why are we rejoicing? So let's look at the first one of those. What? What are we rejoicing in? Well, it's immediately clear from this letter that we can't necessarily rely on the fact they're always having a good time. Paul certainly wasn't. The church in Philippi wasn't. And I know that many of us sitting here today aren't. Life isn't always one big party, and it can quickly throw us a curved ball, can't it? Just one example, how many of us a month ago would have believed that whole countries would be in lockdown today? The coronavirus, a pandemic. Life isn't always one big party, so what can we rejoice in? Well, I think it's less about what and more about who, because Paul encouraged us to rejoice in God. And firstly, I think there's a big picture rejoicing. Paul starts his letter to the church in Philippi with this in Philippians 1, verses 3 to 6. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray, how? With joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion Until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul tells the church he can pray with joy, he can rejoice because of the big picture. If we're Christians, if we put God king of our lives, we can be certain that because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, paying the price for the times that we mess up, that one day there'll be a completion of God's rescue plan, which means that we'll live with God for eternity. Amen. Amen. There's a big picture rejoicing. But do you know what? There's also a day-to-day rejoicing, and we shouldn't miss that. In his book, How to Pray, Pete Gregg writes, no one stares at the northern lights and thinks, wow, I'm incredible. (laughs) I love that. Paul, in this passage, Paul tells the Philippians that there is a day-by-day rejoicing in the world that God is made and is still part of. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is notable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the language that Paul uses here is really interesting. This doesn't really match any other list of attributes, that Paul makes in his letters, these aren't the same as the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists, although some, there are similarities there. In fact, the Greek word translated here as lovely is not found anywhere else in the Bible at all. It's not a religious term, it's a world term. Paul is saying rejoice in the little things. Everything we see in this world that is lovely, that is pure, that is good, that is right, should remind us, of the Creator who made both it and us. And sometimes as Christians, I think we could be so preoccupied with the sin that's tarnished this world that we miss the innate goodness in it, the goodness of the Creator. Yes, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth that's promised to us through Jesus Christ. But Paul also says, let's also rejoice in God's creation now, in the good things that happen in the everyday The echoes of God our Father. So, if that's the what, then what about the how? How do we rejoice? Look at verse 6. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. How do we rejoice? At the end of the day, it's a discipline. What I mean by this is you have to work at it. It doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes I think we mistake joy for being cheery or smiley or bubbly. And we walk around going, I have to be cheery because I'm a Christian. So I'm going to keep smiling through gritted teeth. For those that are just listening to this online, I had my teeth gritted there, by the way. But Paul describes it as a discipline, and part of that discipline is through our prayer life. It's when in our prayers we praise God, and as Andy described two weeks ago, hallow God's almighty name, that we start finding a mindset that learns to rejoice and praise God who created us, who saved us and who loves us whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. The French philosopher Marlo Ponte describes the discipline under the analogy of sleep. He writes this, I cannot choose to fall asleep. The best I can do is put myself in a posture and rhythm, the welcome sleep. I lie down in my bed on my left-hand side with my knees drawn up. I call up the visitation of sleep by imitating the breathing and posturing of the sleeper. And there is a moment when sleep comes setting on this imitation of itself, that that I have been offering it. And just in the same way as we can't force ourselves to sleep, but we can create an atmosphere for sleep to come, we cannot force ourselves to be joyful. What we can do is praise God and rejoice in our prayers even when it's hard. Derek Burnside, a great pastor from my last church, once described described how he worked on this very discipline. He talked about one of those awful days, we've all had them, when everything goes wrong. And so for reasons out of his control, he found himself rushing already late for a meeting that he needs to be at. And whilst he was parking his car in a hurry in a multi-story car park, he drove into a pillar. And Derek said he sat in his car and closed his eyes and fought for the words to praise and worship God. And finally, he said, I praise you, God, that I just hit a pillar and not a person. I praise your holy name. It's only a piece of metal that's got damaged. Now, I'm trying not to quote too much from Pete Gregg's book because I'd love you to read it yourself. It's brilliant. But Pete puts this in such a beautiful way. He says this, It's an act of will, Instead of waiting to worship until I feel like it, I begin to thank God for all the evidence of His love in my life until my feelings fall into line with the facts. He's not saying the facts aren't there, by the way. He's not saying that God doesn't bless us in our lives. He says sometimes that our feelings have to fall in line with our facts. Do you see the alignment here with the way the Marlou Ponte describes sleep? It's a discipline. Sometimes it won't happen naturally and we have to work at it. Sometimes it will be natural in the same way that when we're shattered, we can sleep anywhere, can't we? I took my wife to the cinema on Saturday and I actually fell asleep. (laughs) Sometimes we'll be full of joy already. The words of praise will just flow. And sometimes we have to work on it. But each day... With thanksgiving, we offer prayers to God. So we have looked at who we rejoice in. We've looked at how we rejoice. And so finally, let's look at why. Why does Paul think it's so important to remind the church in Philippi more than once to rejoice? Don't get excited. They're on the third point because there's a subsection here. I think Paul highlights three reasons in his passage, and it's these. Number one, it's healthy. Number two, it's holy. And number three, it's hopeful. Firstly, it's healthy. It's an amazing coincidence, you might have spotted this, that all God's instructions in the Bible for living our lives turn out to be good for us. Look at verse 6 and 7 in the passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here it is. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hey, don't get me wrong. When we come on our knees in prayer and we worship God, who transcends, it's much Bigger than all our understanding. It really isn't about us. It's not about us. It's all about God. But God is also our Heavenly Father who loves to give us good gifts. And so through our worship of Him, He also chooses to bless us. Paul says it's through our very act of worship, rejoicing in what God has done and is in doing in our lives, that we're blessed with peace. It's in the act of recognising God at work in our lives, in our world, and praising for him, for him for it that releases the weight of burden from our own shoulders. Don't be anxious about anything, Paul says, because God's got it. And so, as this discipline of praising God always, whatever the circumstances, plays out in our rejoicing, we also start seeing God at work everywhere. And the peace of God, even when we don't understand him, even when we don't get why something is happening, the peace of God will, verse 7, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do we want to have the peace of God this morning? Well, Paul says, in everything we do, in prayer, let's rejoice with thanksgiving. And through that, we begin to get the glimpse of an almighty Father who loves us and is working in our lives and through our lives. Why should we rejoice? It's healthy. And secondly, it's holy. What do I mean by holy? Well, the definition of holy in this context is being set apart. In Philippians, earlier in the letter, Paul encourages the church in Philippi to shine out like stars, to be set apart as different from the world. Why? Because people get a glimpse of who God is through God's people. Be holy. And our act of rejoicing in prayer, that act is an act of holiness. It sets us apart from the world. Look at the language Paul uses in Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God who transcends all understanding will guard, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word for guard here is a military term. The Greek word literally means to guard like a sentry on duty. Paul uses it, for example, in 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 32, when he talks about the king of Damascus arresting him and physically guarding him from escaping. The peace of God, which transcends, is bigger than all we can understand, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he spoke in week one about the fact that lots of people pray. In fact, more people pray than would even admit to believing in God. So what sets us apart as Christians? Those that have made Jesus king of their life. What makes our prayer life holy? Jesus had a lot to say about how we live our lives differently as Christians. He said, don't just love the people who love you. Everybody does that. No. Love your enemies. Be holy. Be set apart. He says, don't make a thing about being generous. Everyone does that. No. No. Do it in secret. Be holy. Be different. And this passage is no different. Let's not only rejoice when life is going well, when the sun is shining, when all is good, because everybody does that. No. Let's set ourselves apart. Let's be holy. Let's rejoice always. And then we shine out for God like stars in the universe. This guy is one of my heroes. He's a guy called Horatio Spafford. Don't know if you've ever come across him. Horatio was born in New York and was a prominent lawyer and church leader. In 1873, his wife and his four daughters went on a steam trip to England. Horatio himself was caught up in business, and he planned to join them just a few days later. The steamship that his wife and children were on, struck another vessel in the middle of the ocean, and 226 people drowned that day, including all four of Horatio's daughters. A few days later, Horatio crossed the Atlantic to meet up with his wife in England, who'd survived the tragedy. And during the night, as they crossed the point where the ship had sunk, Horatio went down to his cabin, and he wrote this hymn. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. For me be a Christ, be a Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life you will whisper your peace to my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And in those last lines of the verse, Horatio Spafford echoes what Paul writes here in the church of Philippi. No pang shall be mine, for in death As in life, you, God, will whisper your peace to my soul. You see, God doesn't ask us to be holy in our own strength because we wouldn't make it. No, but we can be holy through his power. Verse 7 The peace of God will guard, like a sentry on duty, our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Why do we rejoice? We rejoice because it's healthy. We rejoice because it's holy. And finally, we rejoice because it's hopeful. We rejoice because it's hopeful. Why are we hopeful? Because as Paul puts it in one very short sentence, you can find it in verse five, four words, we are hopeful because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And this biblical idea of the word hope, by the way, is not the way we use hope now. It's not like, I hope it won't rain tomorrow. It's not, let's face it, wishful thinking. I hope in the Bible is a confident expectation that what God has promised is going to come about. That's why Paul writes in Romans 5, hope doesn't disappoint us. Wishful thinking will disappoint us all the time, especially if you're wishing it's not going to rain tomorrow. But hope in God's promises won't. And Paul gives hope here in four simple words. The Lord is near. Let me show you a picture. I think Paul's words, the Lord is near, needs to be taken in two ways. Simultaneously. It's in the detail and it's in the big picture. Have a good look at this photo. How many of you see the detailed picture of the lady walking on a field in front of some buildings? Can you see that? Yeah? How many of you can step back and see the bigger picture of a person's face? Like a big face? It's good, isn't it? (laughs) There is both, both pictures are there. And you see, the good news for Christians is, as we believe, the good news for Christians is we believe in a God who is with us every day, and who cares about the detail. And because God loves, because God loves us and cares for us, He chose to come to our world in the form of a man, Jesus. And die for the times that we've messed up so we can be forgiven. He's walked this earth. He's felt pain and hurt and disappointment just in the same way as we do. He could be near us because he is God who gave everything to set us free. So, as we see in verse 6, In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Because God hears us and is with us. In the detail. And yet, and yet there's also a bigger picture here. When Paul writes, the Lord is near, it's also a reminder to the church that one day Christ is going to return again. There's a promise and a hope in the Bible that there'll be a day when there is a new heaven and a new earth. When there'll be no more crying or pain or death. What we live out now, as we rejoice and worship every day in prayer as a spiritual discipline, is an echo of a future reality. It's a confident expectation, Is a hope of what's still to come. And both these understandings of the Lord is near is important. Just like that picture, we have to hold them together in tandem Paul does this all the time. He does it in this very letter to this church um, in Philippi. In Philippians 1 and 2, Paul gives us an amazing theology of Christ. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's this amazing big picture. The glory of the Lord. God is near. And yet, in the same letter... Just a few lines forward, Paul's pleading with two ladies in the church to heal their differences and stop arguing with each other. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Do you see it? The big picture and the detail of life. The big picture, the detail of life. And as in this context that Paul immediately goes on to write, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near His kingdom is coming. His promises are certain. He cares about the little things now. When we rejoice in God in prayer, we do so in the details, but we also do it in the big picture. And aside, I'm not preaching about the coronavirus this morning. I'm preaching about joy in prayer. But if you want a Christian response to the coronavirus, then the model's right here, isn't it? Because the Lord is near... We need to show people in the detail. In a world of fear, we need to be on the front line, practically loving and caring for them, showing them that the Lord is near. But how do we do this? We do this because of the big picture. We have a certain hope in the future. The Lord is near. Can you remember the story we started with? Well, the fact is, I left out the big picture part. So let me rewind a little bit and fill it in. You see, as we span across the three lanes of the motorway in rush hour, me clutching the steering wheel and screaming, we're going to die, we managed to miss every single other car on that motorway in rush hour just outside Bristol. Along that motorway stretch, and we've driven it a lot of times since, there is a tiny stretch where there are no railings on the hard shoulder. Any other place that we careered off the road, we'd have hit those railings and bounced right back into the main traffic. But we didn't. Instead, our little Peugeot slipped through the gap and safely down the bank. When we climbed out of the car and onto the road, a family of four had witnessed the whole thing. Miraculously, they'd been breaking as we spanned past them, and the dad came towards us as we climbed up the bank and checked if we were okay. And then he looked around in concern. What about the other one, he asked. What other one, I said. There's just two of us. No, he replied, I saw another person. There was someone seated in the back seat of your car. Did God send an angel to me and Ellie that morning? I don't know, but I do know this, that Ellie and I woke the next day in Exeter. Uh, We had a late night drive home with my dad. We had really achy bodies, and to be honest with you, we still had really aching hearts. But something had changed. Probably for the first time in my life, I had a hope that God had a plan for me. I might not always understand it, it might not be the plan that I want, and life is still going to sometimes suck. But I had a hope. And Ellie and I were able to rejoice and praise God in our prayers. I remember it so well. Now, I realized that I was truly blessed that day that God is an infinite grace allowed Ellie and I to see something of his plan for our lives and in the mess of life that isn't always clear but when Paul says rejoice and again I say rejoice there's something in our prayers of praise that bring hope it brings hope to us as we pray that God is near through the good times and the bad. It brings hope to a broken world. There is something about the church rejoicing that proclaims God's kingdom is coming to our broken world now in the present. And it brings an ultimate hope too. The confident expectation for those that have chosen Christ as their king that one day there'll be no more crying and no more mourning and no more pain And no more death. Let's praise our God right now in prayer. And then following that, the band will come and lead us in worship. Our Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you that you provide hope. Hope right now for our world. But also hope for the future. We thank you that we can rejoice in you whatever life throws at us. We praise you that you want to guard each of our hearts with a peace beyond our understanding. Hallowed be your name. Amen.